Unmistakable evidence has established the fact he is the creator and sustainer of all the worlds. Welcome to the Truth 316 Podcast, the place that we honor that all scripture is given by inspiration of God. Our prayer is that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. Okay, so we are in our gospel series on forgiveness, and we are taking our second look today at the atonement. And previously we had discussed and defined atonement in the English, quite literally as at one or to bring together in unity, at one, or simply one, to make one. We looked at the original Hebrew as a covering or in the verb form, to cover. And our first example of that was in Genesis 6, as we looked at God giving Noah the command to build an ark and to cover it with pitch. And there we saw both the verb form, to cover, and the noun form of pitch. So to cover it with covering. And we wanted to compare that uh, in regard to our sin, where the blood of Christ is our covering. And that describes... Uh, how we are atoned for in Christ. And there's plenty of clear examples of this in the Old Testament. So let's go ahead and take a look at how the Lord brought in or introduced a specific feast of his to introduce his eternal plan of covering for the sins of his chosen people. So in our verse here of Leviticus 23, 27, we see that now on the 10th day of this seventh month is the day of atonement. It shall be for you a time of holy convocation And you shall afflict yourselves and present a food offering to the Lord. So here God commands his sixth holy feast day, the day of atonement. And what day do we recognize this as on our calendars, even in in our modern era? It is Yom Kippur. It is known as the holiest day of the year for the Jewish community. Now, this topic that we're going to be talking about, in regard to the atonement is is really just too big to cover uh, in a 15-minute session, but we're going to do our best to try to give a very good uh, explanation of its roots, uh, the scriptural definitions of it in a summary fashion that you will understand what took place on the original Day of Atonement and was practiced through the years before Christ came, and also try to clear up some of the things that we just typically hear about this day. And so there's going to be plenty to consider as we go. But let's take a look at the Day of Atonement known as Yom Kippur. Most of us had have heard about this day already. Uh, like I said, it's on our calendars. It's a day celebrated by the Jews even to this day. Uh, but there are, uh, we might even know that there are some articles that were related to the biblical time. For example, there's two goats and one goat is uh, sacrificed and the other is the scapegoat and it's taken out into the wilderness. So why does the Lord give Israel two different days to sacrifice for sins? Well, there's going to be quite a bit to it. So let's begin here. 
So the first thing that we see in our Bible verse is that on the 10th day of the seventh month is the day of atonement. So the seventh month is Tishri. So the 10th day of Tishri is considered Israel's most solemn day. And when we think of this being the seventh month, we have to look at this um, as God gave his calendar back in Exodus chapter 12 and then reiterated in Leviticus chapter 23, where he says this day will be the first month for you. And he gives that month just before uh, just before the Passover. And here we see that this is the seventh month, the month of Tishri, which is given. And this is according to God's calendar, which is an agricultural calendar, which is really to be compared to or, contr or contrasted with the civil calendar, uh, which begins on Rosh Hashanah, which is the month that we're talking about now. So you have to be kind of aware of which calendar you're speaking of. But typically in the Bible, you see uh, God's calendar being used. And so here we have the seventh month of God's calendar. So again, as we spoke of the Lord giving the first month to us in Exodus, and that was just before the Passover. And he said on the first or on the 14th day of this month is the Lord's Passover. And we see Passover take place in the first three feasts that the Lord gives are Passover, unleavened bread and first fruits. And first fruits is on a Sunday. And then 50 days after that is what? Yeah, it's Pentecost. We recognize that. And so we have four feasts that we're familiar with already. And then those are all the spring feasts. And here we are coming into the fall time and beginning with the Feast of Trumpets or Rosh Hashanah to kick it off. We have 10 days here that Israel prepares for the Day of Atonement. So uh, we want to understand all of this. We also want to understand that we have two different um, harvests taking place here. The spring feast uh, take place at the time of the barley harvest, of Pentecost at the wheat harvest. And here in the fall feast, we have the grape harvest. And all of these are pertinent to God's eschatology, right? Um, so anyways, I cover these feasts in uh, 12 weeks of classes here. Let's go ahead and continue. Um, so for 10 days, Israel afflicts themselves and they do no work and they observe a pretty strict fast. So again, as I said, this month begins, um, with the feast of trumpets. So the seventh month you have the feast of trumpets rings in at the new moon. And then for 10 days, Israel is preparing for this very solemn feast and they afflict themselves. So they don't do any work and they observe a strict fast and then in our next slide here, we see that there's a reminder of insufficiency of daily sacrifice. So we see that Israel is constantly commanded by God to have sacrifices for sins. There's a daily sacrifice, there's free offerings, there's a free will sacrifice, and there's burnt offerings. But what God is saying here is that none of those are sufficient to atone for sin. So even the altar itself, which stood in the inner court of the temple, is it stood off a long way from the Holy of Holies. It's away and separated by the veil in the Holy of Holies, separated from the presence of God. But things were quite a bit different this day. And we're going to look at that. So the high priest here is set up to mediate for the people on this particular day. So the high priest alone made atonement for all the iniquities of the children of Israel. 
we also have to have atonement for the high priest himself because the mediator that runs between God and his people has to be ceremonially clean. He can't go in, you know, in his normal setup. He goes through a very strict ritual for cleansing. Um, and also the sanctuary itself had to be cleaned. It was ceremonially defiled by the priests that were active there because they carried um, their sin as they were going through the administration of the tabernacle area. But we'll talk more about that later. Uh, and then finally, we see that the high priest had a change of garments. He wore a white robe and there were sacrifices made, a bull, a ram, and there's two goats that are involved here. And in order to prepare for the day sacrifices, the high priest had to offer for himself a bull offering, right? He has to have a sacrifice or a covering for his own sins. He has to be ritually clean. So after filling the censer with live coals from the altar, the high priest then enters into the Holy of Holies where he had placed, where he places incense on the hot coals. And the incense sends forth a cloud of smoke and over the mercy seat, which is acting as a covering for the Ark of the Covenant. And uh, then the high priest takes some blood of the bull and he sprinkles it on the mercy seat and on the ground in front of the ark. And in this way, uh, there's an atonement made for the priesthood. So the priest had to be clean first. So let's read about this account here. So in Leviticus 16 verses 1 and 2, it says, Now the Lord spoke to Moses after the death of the two sons of Aaron, when they had approached the presence of the Lord and died. The Lord said to Moses, tell your brother Aaron that he shall not enter at any time into the holy place inside the veil before the mercy seat, which is on the ark, or he will die. For I will appear in the cloud over the mercy seat. So Aaron, of course, is the brother of Moses, and Aaron is acting as the first high priest of Israel, and he is the one that the Lord is telling Moses. He just can't enter in to the most holy place at any time that he wants because um, that's where the presence of the Lord is. And anybody that stands in front of the Lord is you know, is certainly going to die. But the Lord makes an exception. It says once a year, it's okay. So not at any time, but just once a year. And then in verses three and four, it says that Aaron shall enter the holy place with this, a bull for a sin offering and a ram for a burnt offering. He shall put on the holy linen tunic and the linen undergarment shall be next to his body. And he shall be girded with the linen sash and attired with the linen turban. These are holy garments. Then he shall bathe his body in water and put them on. So the high priest must be completely clean because he's representing the people here. So he's got to have a sin offering. He's got to bathe himself and he has to wear these special garments. These are holy garments, garments that are set apart for this particular occasion here. And then... We, we move forward a few verses in verses 6 and 7. It says, Then Aaron shall offer the bull for the sin offering, which is for himself, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household. He shall take two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting and for his household. And then the two goats are to be presented. And then uh, verses uh, 7 through 10 say, he shall take the two goats and present them before the Lord at the doorway of the tent of meeting. Aaron shall cast lots for the two goats, one lot for the Lord and the other for the scapegoat. Then Aaron shall offer the goat on which the lot for the Lord fell and make it a sin offering. But the goat on which the lot for the scapegoat fell shall be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it, to send it into the wilderness as the scapegoat. 
So, man, it's weird because it says here that you're going to make atonement upon the scapegoat. So we're, we got to be careful. They're not atoning for the scapegoat, but the atonement's being made upon it. So here we see that there's uh, there's two goats involved. One is the uh, for the sacrifice, but the other one is to be presented alive before the Lord to make atonement upon it. So let's keep going. Um, in 15 and 17, it says, Then he shall slaughter the goat for the sin offering, which is for the people, and bring its blood inside the veil, and do with its blood as he did with the blood of the bull, and sprinkle it on the mercy seat and in front of the mercy seat. He shall make atonement for the holy place because of the impurities of the sons of Israel and because of their transgressions in regard to their sins, that he may make atonement for himself and for his household and for all the assembly of Israel. So again, the bull is uh, the bull's blood is used for Aaron's sin and his household, and then the goat's blood is for the whole assembly of Israel. So we see a national aspect to the sacrifice here. So there's tons of information here that we don't have time to cover, but let's just talk about a couple of quick thoughts here to provoke some further study on your own. So first of all, blood on the mercy seat. What's up with that? And also we see a major difference from the Passover here. The sacrifice is made, like I said, at a national level for all the assembly, whereas when the Passover was instituted, the individual sacrifices were made by the father for him and his household. So just as Aaron does a sacrifice here for the with the bull for himself and for his household, and then a second sacrifice with the goat for all the assembly. We have Passover, which is more of an individual, uh, an individualized sacrifice for the leader of the house. So for the father and all that live with him in that household. Now that can be family members or even a sojourner that happens to be living in that house at the time. But that is a specific. Um, more of a specific individual sacrifice, but here we see a national atonement being being made. So some distinctions there. So let's take a look at the high priest. Now we got to begin with the high priest. So we have Aaron as the original high priest, uh, and of course, you know, throughout the entire Old Testament, there's many high priests that are named. So they have succession all in his lineage, and uh, then we recognize a completion to the high priest who is our high priest and of course it's jesus he's the one that fulfills this so let's take a look at jesus our great high priest um it says here the high priest enters into the holy of holies so how do we compare and contrast uh what aaron did as opposed to what jesus did so so let's take a look at aaron here as he enters into the holy of holies he has to enter in with a blood sacrifice of of an animal right because he's impure he's got he's got his own sin and so he has to enter a sacrifice but we see that jesus uh also enters into the holy of holies but he enters in to heaven itself to appear before the father on behalf of his people right so but jesus doesn't need a blood sacrifice because he's sinless right he's pure so he doesn't have to have an initial sacrifice to enter in he when when Christ enters into the Holy of Holies, he's only entering into it on behalf of his people. And then we see that we have the sacrifice that takes place year after year after year with the Israel uh, priesthood. But when Christ performs the sacrifice, it was perfect, right? It was a perfect sacrifice and it was permanent. It lasts forever. 
So after that, we have no more need for sacrifice. Let's take a look here. Um, uh, we just mentioned that Jesus entered into the Holy of Holies before the throne of God. Uh, I didn't mention that the the tabernacle itself, when it's given as a design by God to Moses, is a representation of the bigger reality in heaven. So when the Lord gives Moses the Ten Commandments, he also gives him these plans for the tabernacle, and it's to be built in a specific fashion that represents the tabernacle that is in heaven. So it's modeled after the bigger reality in heaven, but everything had its practical use here on earth. For example, uh, for example, the menorah, which gave light to the tabernacle, and the table of showbread and the incense, and all these had their practical uses, the altar for sacrifice, but they were just representative of a bigger reality. They're shadows of things to come or shadows of the much larger reality in heaven. Uh, but then we see that the uh, goat is to be slaughtered and then taken outside the camp to be burned. So we're reminded that the, the flesh of the sin offering on the Day of Atonement was burned outside the camp of Israel. Uh, and that shows um, or that is fulfilled in Jesus Christ as he was taken outside the temple area and sacrificed on the mount so he could redeem his people from their sins. Uh, so let's take a look at how the writer of Hebrews explains this more fully. Um, when Christ appeared as the high priest of good things to come, he entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. So we see the tabernacle here, not created with hands. It's, it's created by God. He speaks these things into existence for his own glory. And Christ appears as the high priest. He enters straight through. He can enter. He is allowed to enter through. So just as the high priest here, who after his sacrifice and was made clean, now is holy, is allowed this one day of year to enter into the Holy of Holies, into the presence of the Lord. Christ appears as our high priest of the good things to come. He enters through the greater and more perfect tabernacle. So he enters into the presence of God directly. So he is our high priest. He's perfect and he enters into a perfect heavenly tabernacle. Let's take a verse. Uh, let's take a look at verse 12. And not through the blood of goats and calves, but through his own blood. He entered the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. So for how long does Jesus' blood cover our sins? Forever. And that tells us that our redemption is eternal. And therefore we have this perfect sacrifice that's made on our behalf and it covers our sins forever. Now let's jump over to chapter 10 and it says in verses 10 and, or it says in verses 11 and 12 that every high priest stands daily ministering and offering time after time the same sacrifices which can never take away sins but he having offered one sacrifice for sins for all time sat down at the right hand of God so we see here that every high priest this is talking about all the high priests um, throughout the old testament period uh, they have to do daily sacrifices. It just never stops. Morning sin offerings, evening offerings, and they never take away sin. Um, they were only standing as a shadow, but Christ, being perfect, he sacrifices for sins for all time. So with one 
sacrifice with perfect obedience and his perfect and righteous blood sits down at the right hand hand of God. So what does Christ sit down upon? Well, a throne, yes, but what would we what would the tabernacle symbol be? Well, it's the mercy seat, right? The mercy seat that sits as the covering over the ark of the covenant. That's symbolically what Christ sits down upon. His throne in heaven is the seat of mercy. Uh, and then second of all, in regard to sitting down, what does it symbolize when Christ sits down? It means that the work is done. You rest, right? Just as when God finished his creation, he rested. So Christ sits down, the work is completed. And if we think about when Jesus was hanging from the cross, one of the last things that he says is to die. What does that mean? It is finished. It's complete. The work here is done. There's no more sacrifice for sins. So let's take a look at Hebrews 13, verses 11 and 12. And it says, For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy place by the high priest as an offering for sin are burnt outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people through his own blood, suffered outside the gate. So this is, as I said earlier here, we see that Jesus is taken outside the camp and he sheds his own blood and he suffers outside the gates. So all of this that God has set up as a pattern is now fulfilled in Christ. So let's take a look at the atonement by Christ. I said atonement by Christ instead of the atonement of Christ, just to show that Christ didn't have atonement for himself. So let's take a look at some summary points here. We have, uh, as we said originally, the definition of atonement is covering. So in its most literal sense, Christ's blood covers, covers our sins. And we see a, uh, we see an example in Isaiah where it talks about though our sins be as crimson, they're, they're washed pure snow. How are they washed pure snow? By the blood of Christ. So a contrast in the, in the, in the blood of Christ being, you know, blood red, of course, and being white as snow, the purifying aspect of Christ's blood. So we see the atonement of Christ as a covering for our sins. And we had several examples of this, of course, the first example being the covering of Noah's Ark. It, we see the Ark as a place of protection for Noah and his family, and it was atoned for. It was covered with pitch, covered with covering or pitched with pitch. And we have that as a vessel of refuge for Noah and his family. And then we looked also at an example of Adam and Eve, where, remember, they tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, and that didn't work, of course. So God, how does he cover them? With an animal sacrifice. With God, It says that God made coverings of skins of animals for them. So we see a sacrifice has to take place before they can be properly covered. And then we also look here on our third example uh, for the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, where the high priest annually every year atones for Israel, the entire assembly of Israel. Um, so we see also that a covering, just as uh, Adam and Eve put on the skin coverings that the Lord made for them, that we are also to put on Christ. We recognize this in Romans 13. It says, but to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh in regard to its lust. 
Uh, and then in Galatians 3, it says, For all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourself with Christ. See, we're covered with Christ to be putting on Christ. We have been covered with Christ who were baptized into Christ. So we see all of symbolic uh, covering for our sins, which takes place in time. So we see for us the symbolic yet uh, effective covering that Christ has done for us through his atonement. And then on our next slide, we see atonement is equal to one. This is where just in our description, our English description, it's to bring together in unity. We mentioned at one meant and something that's unified. We also see that it is in regard to the adoption process. When we're brought in as one with Christ, we are children of God. We see here in our next slide that we have atonement by Christ for a short period of time. No, forever. See, Christ was without sin, so his blood atones for perfectly. So the sins of believers is removed from the presence of God just as the scapegoat was removing the sins from the people. So the high priest places his hands on the head of the scapegoat and transfers the sins. There was a prayer, we didn't talk about that, but the high priest places his hands upon the scapegoat's head and prays transfer of the sins of Israel upon the scapegoat. And then the scapegoat is taken out into the wilderness. So it represents just as Christ took away our sins as far as east is from west. And then Christ sits down. This work's accomplished. So our atonement for Christ is forever. And then, of course, the atonement is to be remembered. So God tells Israel throughout all of this mention of the feast days, beginning in Exodus 12, to keep this feast forever. Now, it didn't just mean to keep it forever in regard to running through the sacrifices, but he says to keep it forever in regard to your memory, to share it with your children every year. Remind your children, remind yourself and to understand what God is accomplishing. And for us, we're to understand what God has accomplished through Christ. So these feasts are also important for us to understand. So although the sacrifice of the Day of Atonement um, has not been in effect since Christ came, our, our high priest came, we should still be observing the Day of Atonement as a day of remembrance for what God had established as a pattern and how he covered for the sins of Israel and his people, and then how Christ came and fulfilled that. So the more we understand and know the Old Testament, the better we can understand what Christ accomplished for us, because God set up the pattern from the very beginning, and we sometimes might not understand why Christ had to die. What was the difference between the Old and the New Testament? How was it fulfilled? Well, Christ even died for those Old Testament saints that practiced all of these feasts, all of those sacrifices, because we know that the sacrifices, as we discussed last time, did not forgive a single sin, right? It was Christ, his pure blood, that was actually the forgiveness that took place and covered back in the Old Testament times for all the saints, including all of the future saints until the Lord returns. So we want to remember that we have this aspect of the Day of Atonement that we are to remember so just for the Jewish community, we see that although the sacrificial aspects of the Day 
of the Day of Atonement have not been in effect since the destruction of the temple. The Jews to this day still observe this day uh, by fasting and refraining from all types of work. They blow the ram's horn of the shofar, and they blow that to the assembly for the people to become uh, to come to worship in the synagogue on the evening uh, before the Day of Atonement or the evening before Yom Kippur. So then at sunset on the day that the Day of Atonement is ended, there's another blast of the ram's horn, which the worshipers then return to their homes. And so I think that as we understand the command of God to keep the remembrance of his feast, and okay, so just before you correct me and say that is Old Testament stuff, we're not to be, those things aren't for us anymore. We we're, we have grace in Christ and the old things have passed away. The new, Yeah, well, that's true. But just so you know, you're already doing this without you without maybe even thinking about it. How do you already do this? With the Passover. Well, to a degree, yeah, we celebrate Passover or we remember Passover. How? At Easter time. When we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we are celebrating the fact that he came, he died as the sacrificial Passover lamb on the exact day that they were sacrificing the Passover lamb, may I say. And then three days and three nights later, um, Christ rises. What day does he rise? On the day of first fruits. So we see the first three feasts that we celebrate and remember it's already. But sometimes it's it's good to be more purposeful in exactly what we're remembering. Yeah, we should remember that Christ died for us. But what does he fulfill? What was the shadow? Uh, so the, there was better things to come that were fulfilled in Christ. And of course, we all know about Pentecost. We study that. and uh, But there's a feast that's involved with that. And maybe we should be thinking about that more in light of Christ. And we, and we do. We know that the Holy Spirit came. But what's the bigger and deeper picture there? And so, so we already have four feasts that we already are keeping in mind. Why wouldn't we also want to keep in mind or keep in remembrance these fall feasts? So let's, uh, let's try to do better about that. So one of my goals as a teacher is to help us to remember what was fulfilled in the Old Testament. The better we know our Old Testament, the better we'll understand what Christ has come to do. Let's pray. Uh, thank you, Lord, for what you have done for us. Thank you for the shadows of the Old Testament of the Day of Atonement. Uh, we thank you for your covering for our sins. We thank you for uniting us with yourself. We thank you for adopting us. And we thank you for removing our sins as far as east is from the west. We thank you that your atonement is forever, that you completed it and it was finished at the cross. And yet we are to remember it. Lord, help us to remember and to look back and to understand your word. The groundwork that you laid some 1500 years before Christ and even further back all the way at the beginning in the garden where you said there's got to be a blood sacrifice where you covered Adam and Eve with the skins of an animal showing that without the shedding of blood there is no forgiveness of sin so help us to prepare our hearts and to study more these feasts that you gave to your children um, whom we are lord that we would remember them and keep them so that we may never forget the perfect work that you did for us in jesus name amen